Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. We have we get quite a few people who come to us and they are struggling with this issue of assurance of salvation. And then we have another group of people who come to us who may be married to someone or they know someone and they're asking, how can you tell if my spouse or if this individual is a believer? Both groups of people here are asking a similar question. How can you know that a person is genuinely saved? Now, we recognize that there is a subjective element to this idea of testing yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. And so I want to talk about that in this podcast, examining yourself again, understanding that all of our assessments are very much subjective, but there is criteria. There are some things that we can look at to see if we truly are in the faith. And I think the Apostle Paul gives us a great insight into how to do this as he is asking one of the most critical questions a Christian can ask another Christian, are you in the faith? Now, of course, the big question here is, how do you know? And so the real issue here is what does it mean to test yourself or to examine yourself, and how do you do that? And I want to do that in this podcast. I want to share with you a few thoughts, and the title of this article is Two Ways to See if You Are in the Faith. Now, if you want to read this article, you can, as with all of our Your Daily Drive podcast, they're written out for you, word for word. And so you can go to our website and you can do that if you wish. We have, I have about 2,000 words here that will help you, especially if you want to spend more time in this subject in addition to just listening to a 30-minute podcast, I would encourage you to do that. Now, perhaps you want to have this discussion with your small group. I just received an email about a half hour ago uh, where this lady wrote in, and she said that we're reading your book, Suffering Well, How to uh, Steward God's Most Feared Blessing, and it's having an effect on us, and we would like to order several copies so that we can all have our own and we can go through it ourselves I did say at some point in time, I don't remember when or where, but if you want to order bulk quantities of any of our books, you can do that at a lesser rate for a dozen or more, and that's what I'm talking about. If you want to order 12 or more of our books, you're welcome to do that, and we will give you a rate and a lesser rate than the cost for a single book and we'll ship it to your door. Of course, you have to cover shipping, but you can do that. And so they're reading my book, Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing, and everybody wants a copy. And I think that is a fantastic idea because you all need a copy of that book. But then maybe you want to take one of these articles here and do a similar thing. It will be less expensive, of course. All you have to do is, well, you can read it from your device, and that won't cost you a penny. Uh, or you can print it off, and it'll cost you your printing paper. Uh, but you can print it off, and you and your friends can sit around in a small group, and you can talk about any of our 
resources here like this article here. And so if you want it, uh, please go to our website. Now, I do make a request that if you uh, want to share one of our articles with someone, you must share that article with 1,000 of your closest friends. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek for those of you who are super serious, but my point here is I do want you to share our resources far and wide. And so if you know somebody that can benefit from any of our articles or the podcast that's attached to the article, please share it with them and ask them to read it or to listen to it or print it off for them and put it in the mail. Send it to them the old-fashioned way. Give your mail person, your mail carrier something to do. And that would be wonderful as well. But this is two ways to see if you are in the faith. And if you want to talk about this, you're welcome to do that. We have a free community forum that is brought to you by those who support our ministry. And so it won't cost you anything. You'll need to get your username and your password. And once you have that, uh, then you can jump on our community forum and you can ask your question. And that would be fantastic. We've had several people doing that this morning, and our team is always available to answer your questions. Now, if you are a supporting member of our ministry, well, you go to our private forum and you can talk there. Julie, thank you for becoming a member today. By the way, I saw that come across my desk, and you became an annual supporting member of our ministry for $50 a year, and thank you so much because you, there's people that the Lord will help through you, through your generosity, that you will never know. But I want you to know that you're helping people because of your desire to underwrite this ministry, so thank you. Let me get into it. Two ways to see if you are in the faith. The preacher was preaching on how to be right with God. His message was not a lot different from the last 10 messages he taught. He loves his people, don't get me wrong, and he desires to see them walk in holiness. And like any good shepherd, he carries his sheep in his heart. If you want to know what a good shepherd is, a good shepherd is a person who carries his sheep in his heart. Each week, he looks out over the congregation and is reminded of the waywardness of some of his people, not all of them, and his heart yearns for them to walk with Christ. This passion for the flock is why he begins to go through a list of sinful activities, some of the things they are doing, because the Bible is clear about holiness, and he wants to be clear too. By the time he finishes, he has developed quite the sin list. Gossiping, slander, judgmentalism, adultery, porn, anger, materialism. The more he talks, the louder he becomes until he finally says, quote, If you want to be right with God, you've got to stop this behavior and start living for Christ. Now, on the surface, this sounds good and right. It has a biblical ring to it, doesn't it? But there is a problem. If you follow his logic, you'll soon end up in the thick weeds of legalism. This preacher who truly loves his people is unwittingly preaching a 
slight variation of another gospel, one that the Bible scorns. An examination of whether you're in the faith cannot be merely in a person's good or bad works. The truth is, anybody, realistically, can have good or evil behaviors, and neither one of those gives you a clear indication of the person's faith. Please listen well right now. This concept is what some call behavioral modification in the counseling world, putting off a bad behavior and putting on a new, decent, good behavior. The Bible language would be legalism. Swapping works from bad to good does not change the heart. The preacher's intentions, though kind and caring, were ultimately damaging. Now, isn't this a natural temptation to fall into at times? You see, I can't look too harshly at this preacher because I fall under the same temptation. And if you're an adult with children, I know that you do too. Aren't you tempted to measure or examine your own Christian walk based on the things that you do? I think many parents are tempted to parent this way. Mabel says her biggest fear is that her daughter will become pregnant during her teenage years. The thrust of her parenting is to keep her daughter from becoming pregnant. While she gives a cursory nod to faith in Christ, she exerts the majority of her energy to making sure her daughter does not get pregnant. Her Christian counsel is theoretically no different than the counsel of the world. You see, the world does it this way. They pass out condoms so kids won't get pregnant. They have abstinence programs which are devoid of heart motives. Now, of course, that is the best that they can do, and I understand that. But if the thrust of our parenting is to keep our children from getting pregnant, then in a sense, we're no different than the counsel of the world. Which is better? A daughter who does not get pregnant until marriage, yay, but dies and goes to hell, versus a daughter who does get pregnant before she is married and dies and goes to hell. While they may be a temporary earthly benefit to one over the other, in the greater scheme of things, there is no difference. Let's bring this thought into the church. Which is better? A behaviorally holy church that has no affection for Christ or a behaviorally unholy church that has no affection for Christ? Again, while there may be temporary consequential differences between the pregnant and the non-pregnant teen, I'm not sure if there is any value between a holy and unholy church when both of them have no affection for Christ. You see, both of them mock the gospel. Both of them have no favor from God both of them have no valid or sustaining witness to the world, and both of them have no ability to export the gospel to the next generation. There's not a lot of difference between Christless holiness and Christless unholiness. I hope you can hear 
the slight difference in those two things, but yet how similar they are. Let me go back to Mabel. Are you tempted to parent like her? Are you satisfied if your children don't get pregnant during the teenage years, don't smoke weed, don't drink alcohol, don't hang out with the wrong crowd, and they are social, educated, and using their talents? Is that the depth of your satisfaction with your children? Is your parenting more along the lines of the behavioristic preacher? Do you want them only to do right? Is that the test? Works that will let you know if your children are in the faith? I do think some parents would be wonderfully satisfied if their kids did not give them any trouble. Now, I know that I would be satisfied if my children did not give me any trouble, but that's not the depth of where I want my satisfaction to be. If only these kids would toe the line, be obedient, and not embarrass them and not embarrass the parents in front of others. These parents parent the way they think and live. If that is how you parent, that is the way you think and live because the fruit does not fall far from the tree. And how the parent believes and how the parent lives is the fuel that feeds the parenting model. The parenting model, in a word, is behavioristic. Behavioralistic. It is easy to follow the rules of cultural expectations and etiquette than to have vibrant affections for Jesus Christ. It is easier to be a principle-driven man than a Christ-affected man. At least these are my temptations. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13.5, he's at the end of the second book now. He's closing out. He's writing his final things, and he says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? As Paul was concluding his final argument to the Corinthians, he was asking them to test themselves to see if they were in the faith. He was laying out a challenge for spiritual self-examination. Now, I think this is good for all of us to do. I most certainly want my friends to challenge me to see whether I am in the faith. Don't you? Don't you want one, two, three close friends to do that for you? I try to discern as much as one can to see whether those I counsel are in the faith. I spend part of every day of my life thinking about whether my children are in the faith. My wife and I talk regularly about the realities of our faith. Is it real? These are good things. And Paul is asking this very thing. Examine yourself. Do you have those friends that examine you? Do you examine you? Do you examine your children? If you are married, do you, you and your spouse, do you talk about these things? On many occasions, people have taken Paul's verse here. Again, it's 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and they have taken it out of context. And they use it in an evangelistic message, which was not what Paul was doing. Paul was talking to Christians, the Corinthians, not unbelievers. And then on other occasions, as in the preaching illustration earlier that I gave at the top of this podcast, this text can be used for guilt-motivated teaching. 
And if not explained correctly, the listener of such messages would be tempted to think about a to-do list, a sin list, a gift list, how many things I'm doing well, or their personal specified spiritual criteria to see if God did save them. Behavioristic. It appears Paul assumes the folks he was talking to were believers. And that is important as you think about this text. He assumed they were already believers, and that would be the context for his two Corinthian letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 1.3. He was asking the Corinthian believers to examine themselves, to see if they were living in the faith that they had genuinely believed in the past. And that is critical. No Christian, especially Paul, would believe that you base your faith, your salvation I'm talking about here, on your behaviors. And realizing that no one can tell if God has saved another person, only God truly knows this, Behaviors most definitely should not be the test of salvation. You want to tread carefully here. Examining examining behaviors exclusively as a test of salvation is a dangerous way of talking because it can lead to behavioral modification. We already know our works do not save us. Paul could not be more explicit in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He definitely knew that actions could be a misleading indicator of salvation. And so Paul was not positioning his solution to their perceived faith dysfunction in their behaviors, but in Christ alone. And sometimes you may look at someone, maybe you're examining yourself, and you have what you perceive to be a faith dysfunction. And so you begin to examine yourself. And again, you should do that. As Paul said, test yourselves. But where Paul wants you to test yourself is not primarily in your behaviors, but in Christ alone. Rather than telling them to change their actions, he wanted them to examine their relationship with Christ, and this is key, vital, and critical. Here's the verse again in 13.15, 2 Corinthians, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? What he was asking was whether they had a genuine relationship with Jesus. Now, this worldview is how Paul thought about testing a person's faith. He said something similar in the earlier portion of this letter, in 2.8 of 2 Corinthians. So I beg you to affirm your love for him. This idea is an interesting observation. Let me ask you a few questions to think about this interesting observation. How do you know you're in the faith? Based on your works or based on the regenerative work of the Spirit of God in a person's soul? Now, this query is a directional question when discipling someone Do you focus their attention on their behaviors, or do you focus their attention on their affection for Jesus? 
And so let me ask again, how do you know that you're in the faith? Based on your works, that's one direction that you can go, or based on the regenerative work of the Spirit of God in a person's soul. That is an inward direction that you go. How do you focus your attention? Do you focus it on their works, their behaviors, or do you focus on their affection for Jesus? Paul said, test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? When you are examining your faith or someone else's faith, you want to be careful about observing behaviors only. Honestly, there are people in our culture who act nicer than some Christians. But the Christians are going to heaven because they are born from above, and the nice culture person is not. You see, anybody can be nice. Our preacher friend is in danger of misleading his people down a false path while he may be able to persuade them to be nicer. This is not a good test. When it comes to faith examination, it can really be dangerous because then he can look out over his congregation and they're hitting all the behavioral marks. Well, what do you have? Is back to what I was saying earlier, a holy supposed perceived holy church with no affection for Christ versus the unholy church with no affection for Christ. What do you really have? I do not want my children only to be nice. I want them to have genuine affection for Jesus Christ, and out of that insatiable and ever-growing affection, there will be good works. Works are not the test, but love for Christ who is living in them is. For example, there are two indicators you can use to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Now we're back to the title of the article of this podcast here, Two Ways to See If You Are in the Faith. That is my introduction, and so let me share with you the two ways that you can examine yourself. Test number one, Paul said, test yourself. I would put it in a question form. Where is your confidence? Where is your confidence? That is the test. Paul said he had been speaking to them about Christ, not about their works. Paul kept drawing them back to Christ, not back to their behavior as the sign of being right with God. Our confidence must be in Christ alone. Our faith is not in what we do, but the one we trust. One of the best tests you can give yourself is the level in which you are trusting the Savior. How meaningful and powerful and beautiful is Christ to you? To examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith, you have to question where your heart is as it pertains to Christ. What are your affection levels for Christ? How would you describe your trust in Christ? Talk about your confidence in God and His Word alone. If these indicators are healthy... Your faith is strong, and your faith will be revealed in your daily life through your works. I want to give you what I believe are some excellent questions to test yourself to see if you're really in the faith. Now, this first batch of items is centered on the idea of confidence in Christ alone. And so this first test, where is your confidence? Think through these questions. Test yourself. Number one. What is your attitude towards suffering? 
When things don't go your way, do you go your own way or stick to God's way? While you don't have to like your suffering, you can still trust Him. Your confidence is in God alone. Inward pain will reveal your faith. Second question, talking about confidence. How concerned are you about your image? Do do you pretend to be more than you are? And do you present yourself as more than you are? Image-centered people are not Christ-centered. They are more concerned about how others perceive them, externality, than caring about how folks see Christ through them, internality. Test number one, where's your confidence? All right, here's the third question. Are you committed to a life of generosity? Do you give out of your abundance or out of your poverty? Do you give because of your confidence in Christ, knowing that he will take care of you? Number four, what is your attitude toward weakness? How quickly do you confess your sins and repent of your sins? Do you present yourself as stronger or more perfect than you are? Question number five, how quickly are you tempted to judge other people? Do you see your way as the only way while looking down on other people who are different than you? Now, these batches, this batch of questions here that I just shared with you are under test number one. Where is your confidence? Here is test number two. Where is your calling? Paul said this to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus Call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. That is 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse number 2. He says, those sanctified in Christ Jesus call to be saints. This is the test. Where is your calling? Paul says over and over that he is not living for himself, but he is living for Christ. He knew who called him And that's why he's telling the Corinthians, Christ has called you. Now, this perspective gives us another excellent test question. Has Christ called you? And the follow-up is, are you living per his calling on your life? Here are some questions for you to think about under test number two, where is your calling? Question number one. Who are you living for when you think about your life? Is your primary goal in life to make God's name tremendous or your own? Whose identity means the most to you? Who you are as a man in this world or who you are in Christ Jesus? Test yourself as it pertains to your calling. Again, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, who are you living for, yourself or Christ? Question number two, what is your purpose in Christ? Are you a slave to your job or does your vocation serve you so you can make God's name high in your world Do you see your marriage more as an opportunity to give to your spouse, or are you more concerned about what you are not getting from your spouse? Question number three, are you standing in the gap for others? Are you willing to spend and be spent for others because of the compelling call to be like Jesus? And question number four, are you living for Christ or your pleasure, your stuff, your way, your life. If you are called by Christ, then you live according to his calling 
and not your calling what you want to do. Now, while your behaviors can be an indicator of who you are as a person on an ontological level, the real test that examines whether you're in the faith is rooted in your relationship with Christ alone. And two ways that you can test yourself is by examining your calling. What are you called to do? Called to be saints? To make God's name great? Or are you called to make your own name great? And the first test that I mentioned is where is your confidence Well, one of the ways that you can test your confidence is by the difficulties that you go through. Are you resting on the foundation of Christ alone? Are you confident in Christ alone? Or is your confidence built on something else? The title of this podcast is Two Ways to See if You Are in the Faith. Now, I know that this can generate quite a few questions with some of you, and we would love to interact with you with your questions. And so what I want you to do is to jump on our community forums, and then you can ask them of us about this idea of salvation and examining yourself, testing yourself to see if you're in the faith. Supporting members, please go to the private side of our forum and ask your question there, and we would love to engage you. Perhaps you have something else that you want to talk about. That would be just fine. Uh, We will talk to you about anything pertaining to life and godliness. Just let us know. Check out this article, Two Ways to See if You're in the Faith. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.